We are looking at the life of Jesus by walking through the Gospel of John. And uh, we started this series really kind of in January, but we did the prequel in December. And we're going to be in John until next Christmas. And because we want to get a, a, a clear picture of who Jesus is and the, uh, and the life that he calls us to. And last week, we were at the beginning of John chapter 5. And in John chapter 5, Jesus heals this man who's been paralyzed for 38 years. Uh, and he heals him on the, on, on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was a day of rest for the, people, uh, for the Jewish people of Israel. And they would rest. They would take a break. You and your family would take a break from your normal routine or your work from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. And it was a time for you to rest and remember who God is and what he's done for you and your family, and also the, the, for the history of the people of Israel. And, uh, and he heals this person on the Sabbath, which was a violation according to all these little rules and regulations that, they, that people had made up along the, on, on the years. And uh, there at the healing, there was a group of people, they were the Jewish leaders, and they were pretty offended by the fact that Jesus healed this guy on the, uh, on the Sabbath, and they also feel threatened by Jesus because he is, uh, he's getting more popular than the Jewish leaders. And the Jewish leaders are losing their influence and their control over the general population. But there's also some people at the, at the healing that are astounded by what Jesus did. They were amazed. They were shocked at what Jesus did. But Jesus invites both, both parties to, to come and see that, that what he was saying about himself was indeed true. That everything that he said, that, that he could, everything that he said that he could actually validate with, uh, with evidence and with testimony about, about who he is. And so Jesus, not only does he in, did he invite them uh, to come and see who he is, but he also invites you and I to come and see this is an invitation to find and know the one true God. So, so three things out of our passage this morning, and then we're going to get to baptizing these folks who have put their faith in Jesus. But uh, three things that the scripture shows us this morning is the provision of, of testimony that, that God gives us. Uh, and also the word of testimony, and we'll talk about what that means. And then the one that the Bible points to. These are the three things that we're going to see today as we close out John chapter 5 and these claims that Jesus makes about himself. So if you brought your Bibles, turn to John chapter 5. If not, we're going to put it up on the screen for you. But John chapter 5 this morning, as we talk about this evidence uh, that, that points us to Jesus being uh, the Savior of the world and the one true God. So the provision of testimony. Now, after, after Jesus healed the crippled man, there, there were people who were obviously offended. They were the Jewish leaders. And, and not necessarily just because he healed, Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath, but they were also upset because of these claims that Jesus was making about himself. Now, let's look at verses 16, 17, and 18. This is after he heals the guy. Uh, verse 16 says, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. And in his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at, at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Verse 18 says, For this reason... They tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was, even calling, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God, which they considered blasphemy. So as we go through John, 
the Gospel of John. We're going to see John, uh, Jesus make all these claims about himself. He's already said that God is his father, which means he's equal with God. Uh, Jesus uh, says that the father has entrusted judgment to him. Okay, um, and Jesus also says that, uh, that he is the giver of eternal life and in him and him alone is forgiveness of sins. Uh, and, and he also says that, that because of who he is, he has authority over all things. Now, and Jesus goes on to say, well, you know, don't just take my word for it, okay? But he says, I'll provide you testimony and evidence that supports, that supports my claims about myself. Now, now look at verse, jump down to 31 and 32. This is Jesus talking. He's talking to these, Jew, these Jewish leaders and to the people. And he says, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, what he means by this, back in this first century, in order for you to take somebody to court, if you had a disagreement with somebody or somebody wronged you and you wanted to take them to court for retribution, uh, you had to have two eyewitnesses to the offense. That if you didn't have two eyewitnesses, you, the, the court would never hear uh, your, uh, your, your grievance. So you had to have two eyewitnesses. So this is why Jesus says, hey, it's not just me that testifies. I, I have other testimonies. Therefore, uh, verse 32, therefore is another who testifies in my favor and I know that his testimony about me is true. In other words, Jesus said, I know, listen guys, I know the claims that I make, I make about myself are pretty bold and pretty out there, but I have supporting evidence and testimony that I'll provide you the things that you need so that you can do your examination and you can do your cross-examination and you can come to the conclusion to put your faith in me. Now, lots of people object to Christianity for different ways and for different reasons. And, and people reject, you know, religion and, uh, for different reasons. But some people would reject Christianity by saying, well, you know, I have a hard time with Christianity because Christianity says that Jesus is the only way to God or Jesus is the only way to salvation. And, and that person would say, well, I don't believe in absolute truth. That, that I don't believe that there's anything that's absolute truth, that's true for everybody. In fact, they would say that what's right for me may not be right for you. The only problem with that is that you just declared an absolute truth. When you say there is no such a thing as absolute truth, that, that sounds pretty absolute to me, okay? So you're proving yourself wrong before we even get out of the gate. Um, now, other people will say that, that religion is nothing more than a personal preference or personal view uh, of what works for you based on your emotions and your uh, mentality. And so lots of people reject Christianity and religion for different reasons, but... The Christian message is, says that Jesus is the, one, the only way of salvation, the only way of forgiveness of sin, and the only path to God. And, and, the, and the Christian message is based on historically verifiable truth and testimony, and therefore it demands a response. So what kind of testimony are we talking about? Let me give you three, three testimonies that we see all throughout the Bible, okay? The first one is personal collaboration, it's personal collaboration. And here in John chapter 5, it's John the Baptist. Okay, look at, look at verses 33 through 35. Jesus says, you, you have sent to John, and he has, uh, and he has testi testified to the truth. Not that I accept his testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. And John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. In other words, you listened to him for a while until... Until you chose not to, because he started pointing more people to me. So, so here's what Jesus means by that. 
whenever you hear somebody's journey to faith in Jesus, like you're going to hear four people's journeys to faith, sometimes, and typically, if we think about our own journey to faith in Jesus, um, that, that there's somebody in our story who was unusually kind. Maybe it was a coworker, or a classmate or a friend or a neighbor or a family member. They were unusually courageous because they told us the truth and, and they, would, they would share the truth in love with us. Or, or they, they lived their life so bright that it just pointed people to Christ. And, and so, in other words, they lived in such a way that it makes people rethink their rejection of Christianity. Have you ever known those, some of those people? Maybe you are some of those people. And, and, and I hope we are a church that we live in such a way that we point people to Jesus because God will use us and our testimony, the way that we live our lives and the words that we say to point people to Jesus. So that's personal collaboration. The second one is verifiable testimony or verifiable, verifiable collaboration. Look at verse 36. It says, I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works of the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I am doing testify that the Father has indeed sent me. So so Jesus, these are the miracles of Jesus. These are the teachings uh, of Jesus. So Jesus would perform miracles to show that not only does he have the authority over the physical world, but he also has the authority over the spiritual world. Not only does he have the authority to heal somebody's body, he also has the authority to heal somebody's soul from the, from the penalty uh, of sin. And so Jesus's life, his death, his resurrection all provide verifiable, verifiable testimony. In other words, um, when Jesus rose from the dead. Over 500 people saw him. They can verify that. Um, there were people this day that, uh, that, that saw this guy who was crippled for 38 years. Now he can walk. That's verifiable testimony. Here in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about Jesus feeding 5,000. Well, there's probably 15,000 in the crowd. 15,000 people can verify that we started with a few biscuits and sardines and the, everybody ate and we had baskets of food left over. It's verifiable testimony to who Jesus says that he is. And then the last is scriptural. It's scriptural testimony or collaboration, and we'll come back to that in just a moment. So what does all this mean? This is what it means. If we're trying to discover that if the God of the Bible is in fact real, if we're trying to discover that what Jesus says about himself is indeed true, that if we want to know the God of the Bible, if we want to have a relationship with the God of the Bible, then we have to ask, are we really wrestling with the evidence? Are we really wrestling with the truth? Are we really wrestling with the testimonies? Or are we just dabbling in it? That I would say anybody who's on the fence about Jesus and who he is and what he, what he came to do, I would say get out of the podcast that, that, that just talk about why Jesus isn't, but get into the evidence that God provides us. Be a student of the Bible and, and then come to your conclusion because the word reveals to us that Jesus is indeed who he says he was, the son of God and the savior of the world. And so are we wrestling with the evidence? Are we just dabbling in it? Are we reading this blog? Are we listening to this podcast? Are we maybe reading half of this book when really what we need to be doing is looking at all the evidence, both for and against. Go ahead, go study the evidence against, but you have to also study the evidence for And I think you'll come to the conclusion that God is indeed who he says he is and can do what he says he can do. So that's that's the um, provision of testimony that God gives every single one of us. Now let's talk about this word of testimony. 
This whole passage in John chapter 5 talks about how Scripture is the Father's testimony about Jesus. Look at verse 37 through 38. Um, says, And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. Well, how, how has he done that? You have never heard the voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one who, who the one he sent. And so what these passages of scriptures are talking about, what Jesus is saying to these religious leaders who knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards, he's saying, hey guys, it's possible for you to read the scripture and miss who it's really about. It's possible for you to read the scriptures and never know who God is. And Jesus says, you, you've never heard God's voice. You've never seen his form. You've never experienced his word in your heart. In other words, it's possible to read the Bible as human testimony, just as about Jesus, uh, or, and miss it and not read it as the Father's testimony about who he is. Now, here's how powerful this is. That many people who are exploring Christianity will say, well, you know, if I could only hear audibly God's voice, then I'd believe. Or if I could actually see a miracle, then I'll believe. Or if I could experience the, the word of God in an emotional way deep in my heart, then I'll, then I'll believe. But, but Jesus says the only problem with that is that none of these mean anything if they can't be validated. And the way that we validate them primarily is through the word of God. It has to be the word of God. So let me give you two practical things. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, let me give you two practical ways to know God, okay? Maybe you're just beginning your journey. Maybe you're like, I don't even know about this, about Jesus, or, or maybe you've been trekking with Jesus for 60 years. But, but two practical ways that we can know the God of the Bible in a, in a unique and, and personal way and have a relationship with. Number one is the scriptures, the Old Testament. That if we want to know someone, we have to know what shapes them, what forms them, what, what influences them, right? I mean, if you want to get to know somebody, how did this person get to where they are? And, and many times, we're shaped by what we read. And for Jesus, he was shaped by the Old Testament. Now, he begins his ministry. Jesus begins his ministry. He walks into the synagogue. Okay, that's a, that, that was a, you know, a little church building for the Jewish people that they would go and hear the scriptures read, okay? And uh, Jesus walks in and he, and he heals this guy's arm that, that, had been, that, that had been mangled in some kind of accident. And he gets up and he reads this passage in Isaiah that, that talks about the Messiah coming, and uh, the Messiah was the one that, that God had promised to send to the people of Israel to redeem the people of Israel or to, to rescue the people of Israel. And so, so Jesus stands up and he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. That, that was the scripture that he read out of Isaiah. And then he turns to all the people, the people who just saw him you know, heal this hand and, and all and the Jewish leaders that were there, he turns to them and he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in you hearing this. You know, the, the religious leaders. Now, now I can show you a chosen clip of this. Um, 
And for those of you that today's your first day, uh, we've been showing The Chosen. It's, a, it's an app that you can watch, and it's two, se- it's two seasons of eight episodes each. It's about the life of Jesus. Uh, I had a friend a couple weeks ago tell me, hey, you can't just rely on The Chosen all through the book of John. You know, uh, There is a clip, but I'm not going to show it to you. You've got to go find it on your own. Um, but, um, but, but Jesus uses Scripture to announce his ministry, to start it. But then he also uses the Old Testament. He uses Scripture at the end of his ministry. He quotes Psalm 22, and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So the Old Testament, the Scriptures, it shaped and formed Jesus. And if you and I want to know Jesus, we need to go to this word. Second practical thing is that we have to accept all of the Scriptures. We have to accept all of it. We can't just pick and choose what we like and what we don't like. That You see, if we only accept the things that the Bible, the things that we like in the Bible, um, then we'll create this God that we worship that, that, that's a fake God. It's a false God. We'll, we'll create this God who never pushes back on us who never disagrees with us, who never challenges us, who never calls us to something bigger than ourselves and will never really experience or know the one true God. Basically, if we're just picking and choosing the scriptures that we like that make us feel good about ourselves and the choices that we're making, we might as well worship a statue because we can't have a relationship with a statue, just like we can't have a relationship with with a God that we only choose to listen to half of his word. Now, Let me make it really, really practical. One way that we know that we're receiving all the scriptures is we're going to run up against some hard teachings that we don't agree with. For instance, Jesus says that we ought to forgive those who have wronged us. Now, let me ask you a question. You're in church, so there's no line, okay? Besides, we're pretty, we're pretty laid back here. We're not, nobody's impressed with anybody. How many of you, I mean, we're not. We're GCC. We're not, nobody's impressed with anybody. How many of you right now are holding a grudge against somebody? Just raise your hand. I, I'm raising my hand not to get you to raise your hand. I'm raising my hand because there's somebody I'm holding a grudge against. Who, who's holding a grudge against somebody? Okay. All right, man, there's a lot of godly people or a lot of liars. The Bible also says, thou shalt not lie. But one of the hard things that Jesus says is forgive. Like, like Christ has forgiven us, and I am so thankful that Jesus does not hold grudges against me. Now, forgiveness is not reconciliation, okay? Please hear that. But forgiveness is getting to the point where we either, if we ever face that person that hurt us or not, it's getting to the point where we don't, they don't owe us anymore. I, I forgive them. I, I don't want anything to do with them. I don't want to hang out with them anymore. We're past that. But they don't owe me anymore. I forgive them. That's hard. I don't like that. The, the, the Bible also Uh, The Bible also says that we are to treat others as if they were better than ourselves. Could you imagine what would happen to our campuses if that's the way our teenagers just walk through the halls? 
Can you imagine your campus that you would turn it upside down if you walked in every class with the mindset, with the humility that everybody I lay eyes on is valuable to God and I'm gonna treat them as if they were better than me. I'm gonna look at them as if they were better than me. Could you imagine what would happen to our neighborhoods? Could you imagine what would happen to our family gatherings if that was our attitude? But that is hard because we live in a society that says, put me first. And the the Bible says that we're to pray, love our enemies and pray for those who make life difficult for us. Now, when the Bible says that, the, the Bible's not saying pray prayers like, that you would rain down fire and brimstone on this person. That's, that's not those kind of prayers. But it's the kind of prayers that we go before the, for God and say, God, I don't like that I got to love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me. But God, I'm praying for this person. I'm praying for my boss. I'm praying for my teacher. I'm praying for my friends. And God, I'm praying that they would know you. God, I'm praying, would you show me, God, as a follower of you, is there anything that I'm doing to, to make this situation even more difficult? God, is there anything that I'm bringing to the table that, that's causing this? And God, would you show me how to love, how to serve? Would you help me put, treat this person as if they were better than me? Would you help me forgive and not hold a grudge? Those are the kind of prayers that bless the Father's heart. And when we start following Christ that way, that's when we know we're engaging the whole scriptures. And yes, there's gonna come up against something. We're like, oh, I don't like that. And that's when we go in and we say, God, I don't like this, but would you show me, would you show this to me? And, we, and it's a process. And we just journey with the heart of God. So let's, uh, let's wind this up um, with the last point of the one that the Bible points to. See, the testimony of the Father comes through the Old Testament. It's all about Jesus. And the works of the Father that gave Jesus to finish are in the New Testament. It's the Gospels. And so the Father's testimony about Jesus is the Scriptures. From the beginning to the end, it's all about Jesus. And it's so important that we read the Bible this way. Because if we read the Bible as, as um, that the law, the word of God, as this tells me how I'm supposed to live, one of two things will happen. Either we'll start to feel really prideful because we think we can do a pretty good job of that. Or we'll begin to realize it crushes us because we can't live up to it. But when we step away from reading the Bible as the way we're supposed to live and reading it as a testimony from the Father about who Jesus is, it brings us face to face with Jesus. See, this this is what I love about Rachel and our children's ministry team and all of our children's volunteers is this is how we're teaching from preschoolers all the way up to sixth grade to read the Bible this way. Yes, it does very clearly tell us how we're supposed to live. But more importantly than that, this from cover to cover points us to Jesus. Every story is about Jesus. For instance, let me just give you an example. Uh, are you familiar with the story of Noah and the ark? Right? I mean, we're, all, we're familiar with that story. That story makes for a great theme for a nursery, right? You know, all the ark and the animals and the clouds and the rainbows. But Jesus is in that story. Because the ark represents Jesus. And Jesus is the one that we can run into and be saved. What about about the story of David and Goliath? 
We're all familiar with that story, right? I mean, David, David takes down the giant. And, 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 and I mean, just to confess, I've preached that, that sermon so many times over the last so many years. And I've pointed people to David and saying, this is our example. But that's the wrong way to interpret that story because David represents Jesus, not as our example, but as our substitute. We need a substitute to fight for us. We need a substitute to to defeat the giants in our lives of our fear and our sin. And Jesus is a better David. You know who we are in the story? We're the army of Israel, scared on the side, needing somebody to fight for us. So Jesus is our champion. This passage, it closes out, Jesus is talking about Moses. Well, Moses, he leads the people uh, out, out of captivity, um, and he goes up to the mountain. Moses goes up to the mountain and gets the law of God, the Ten Commandments, come back down, finds that the people of Israel are worshiping a golden calf, and he breaks the Ten Commandments. And then he goes back up to pray for the, for the uh, 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 goes back up the mountain to pray for the people of Israel, and he even offers his life as a sacrifice, but God won't take it because Moses' sacrifice isn't a perfect sacrifice. Jesus goes up the mountain, not to risk his life, but at the cost of his life for us. Jesus is a better Moses. Jesus leads us into the promised land of eternal life when we put our faith in him. And when we read the Bible as God's testimony about who Jesus is, It brings us face to face with Jesus, the one true Savior of the world.